All right, and let's see, how do I start this off? How does Jason normally start this off? Uh, welcome to another episode of the One Big Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Derek Thorne. Uh, Derek from the Ypsilanti GMB. I'm hosting on my own this evening. Jason, it turns out, got tickets to go see Billy Bragg, and who misses a show with Billy Bragg? Uh, I am joined here today with fellow worker Peter Moore. Uh, Peter, say hello. Hi, Derek. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, it's nice to meet you. Peter joins us here today I, I, as a member. I'm of- currently in Brasilia, Brazil, uh, but my home branch is Ottawa, Uduay, GMB. Ottawa, Uduay. Canada, Ontario. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, Peter, you and I had talked a little bit before the show started, and it sounds like you've been in the IWW for a, for a pretty decent amount of time, since at least 1998. You've moved around and done a lot of a lot of different roles in the union. Uh, what are some of the things that you've done in the IWW? Yeah, it's true. It's uh, it's hard to believe, but it's been about 24 years since I joined up. I uh, I first joined up in Austin, Texas, uh, and the Austin GMB. They were doing a bunch of work with migrant uh, workers that uh, had been ripped off uh, by a builder, of course. And so that attracted me. I had Spanish language skills, so I put my my uh, hand into that uh, pot and uh, joined the Wobblies uh, in Texas, which was uh, pretty funny. But, uh, you know, and then after that, uh, I ended up moving back to Ottawa. And, um, you know, all, life life is, is funny, but there was a branch that uh, was needing some revive, reviving there. And so we revived. Uh, the branch and uh, got it going again, and um, and uh, it, the funny fun thing about that is, I mean the 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 uh, you know you, you get working on something and you, and you build you're building your branch and all of a sudden your wife says to you, hey, I want to study uh, do a graduate degree in England. Mm. So what do you do? You just you pick up and you go. Sure. And so we went we went to the uh, Went to the UK and we uh, and I transferred my membership to the British Isles uh, Regional Organizing Committee, and that was uh, uh, a great experience. I love the UK because it has a real working class consciousness. Like, there's nobody is talking about the middle class, yeah, in you know as as working class in, in the UK. They're all like, we know what working class is. We're not. We know what bougie is and we know what what the rich are and mm. uh, so that is it was just really nice to see uh how the history of working class that's interesting it's also like in the in like the uk they have like they have like actual royalty kind of the height of of bougie right and and you know in the in the u.s we have a lot of politicians that cloak themselves in in the in the cloth of the working class and talk uh, as though they as though they are the working class um, and I, I feel like that with our political elite, um, you know, I, obviously they have they have MPs, they have they have their own, they have parliament, but I, but I do kind of feel like you know we don't we don't have that juxtaposition as upfront uh, for us in in the U.S. as like having royalty and then you know everyone else. Yeah, it's it's a funny thing because you don't uh, you don't really think of it as real, right? Like the mm. royal family, all that stuff. But uh, but there it is real. Uh, they know whose side they're on, and the 
king, the queen, the dukes, the duchesses, they're not on the working class's side. You sure. Know, that is, it's plain as day. So, so you Go were ahead. a member of the British Isles Regional Organizing Committee. Does that predate? So, so everyone will have to excuse my ignorance of IWW history here. Um, but does that predate WISERA then? Is that what WISE RA became in the long run? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so um, when I when I went to the UK lectures in 2004, uh, there was the uh, there was the IWW General Administration based in Philadelphia at the time, and then there was and then there was uh, the Australian Regional Organizing Committee, and then there was the British Isles Regional Organizing Committee, and that was it. That was that was your whole whole map. Uh, so we've we've come a long way in terms of uh, changing uh, and growing. Um, but one of the problems that the, the British Isles had was that they had uh, had had a referendum. They voted to affiliate uh, to register themselves as a registered trade union, which gives them a lot of rights in, in the UK, uh, including representing single workers um, in, in job disputes. Hmm. And, uh, and the person that had been the regional secretary before said, I'm not going to do it because I'm an anarchist. Uh, and people are like, well, we voted for it, so you have to do it. So he quit. Uh, and then there was just sort of this total chaos that happened. And so when I got there, all that had been going on for a couple of years. And people said, can we need a regional secretary? I said, I can do it. Uh, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. But, uh, and that's what I did. And I got a, got the union registered as a trade union. And all of a sudden people were like, oh, so you actually have, uh, you have a, a focus now of actually organizing workplaces as opposed to being sort of a, a amorphous uh, syndicalist organization. So uh, that was uh, a big change for the union. And we saw a dramatic growth and people began to join, build branches and, and so on. And so that was very rewarding, but I was only there for two years. And uh, fortunately we passed on the, the, the different officer positions to people who uh, were really good at their jobs and they kept it growing and eventually did become uh, Wizera. Wizera, so, that's how we, so I, that's how I hear, that's how I hear it pronounced, Wizera. Yeah. Um, and that, that of course, um, makes them a regional administration. Now, yeah. now before, you know, this is it, this is an episode that definitely is going to be a little steeped in some wobbly terminology, right? So, yeah. Um, a regional administration. So for a long time, all we had was NARA, the North American Regional Administration. Is that is? It is wasn't that, even called that. It, it wasn't was even called, called General that. Administration. Oh, it was, was just it. the GA the broadly. Yeah. Hmm. And so, uh, in theory, all the rocks had to file the reports through the General Administration. The general Administration had like a, a database for the entire world, and so on and so forth. But of course, you know, the reason why you have a regionalizing committee or a regional administration is because it's actually very complicated to have to run a global organization, uh, especially when you have uh, uh, everything from different currencies to different uh, uh, postage rules to, to just any 
of the many, many logistical challenges of running an organization. Um, so uh, the, re the regional organizing committee was brought in, I believe in the late 80s, as an idea to how do we organize in other parts of the world? And that's where the uh, the rocks came from, the, the by rock and the Oz rock. Uh, and then you know, eventually uh, the membership grew in Wales, Ireland, uh, Scotland and England to the state to the state where they said we can have our own regional administration, and they were right. And and that's when and so 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 you know just for everyone's right, I think I joined I joined the IWW. I'm gonna say six six years ago, maybe less. So I mean I'm still a baby compared to some people here. Let's see, my card was yeah um, December. 2016 that's what my that's what that's what my that's what my inaugural red card shows so um almost six years exactly a little a little under by about two months so um you know when i joined the union we already had we already had wise or wisera wise wisera um glam rock was a thing and i think that's german i want to say it's the german language area so the, germany austria some parts of the neighboring countries yep so we had glam i think glam rock uh we had glam rock when i joined i think um and then nara and nara had its own bylaws but there was a constitution and then there was something called the international committee like trying to sort out what the IWW was as a brand spanking new member and like, and like what was going on was, was a challenge. Like it, it felt like I was like dealing with some type of like bureaucratic esoterica of which I lacked the cipher to fully understand. Um, and I'll be honest, it took me, there's a lot of stuff happening locally, right? Like the Ipsy branch has been growing. We've been active, um, we were the world headquarters at some point, I think around the time you joined, actually, 1998, uh, yeah. was the host to, um, general headquarters, right? Fred Chase, general secretary treasurer at the time. Yeah, exactly. Fred Chase. Um, so, so, but, but we, you know, we built this branch up and so there's a lot of things happening locally mm -hmm. and things that are happening at the, in the general administration, um, of NARA seems so distant that, that it never seemed like a massive priority to pay a lot of attention um, until I became a branch secretary. And then it was like, okay, I guess I have to figure out some of this stuff. And, and yeah. so I've been, I've been gathering information about the national, the, the nature of the national organization. I think I've really kind of zoned in and tuned into it over the last three years. And my first introduction to national and I'm just going to call it national politics in the IWW was interwab, which I'm not going to talk about because it might violate an NDA <laughs> or something. I have no idea. But, you know, there's a lot of like flaming and forum debates that get very heated. And when I the first time I saw that, I went, oh, boy, I don't know if I want to do any of this stuff. Um uh, but but there was something else that came to my that came to my awareness, and that was something called Canrock, and that was something that kind of slowly because I live in Ypsilanti, and we're pretty we're thirty ish thirty to sixty miles away from Detroit, and we're we're just about an hour away from Canada, uh, and and it turned out that there were 
wobs that I met along the way, um, who, who would reach out to us ahead of conventions, we'd have conversations, and some of them would talk about Canrock. And I kept going, well, what the hell is Canrock? What is Canrock? <laughs> uh, so, so, Peter, I feel like you're better situated in some ways to talk to me about that. I've learned a few things, but I don't want to appear too ignorant here. So I, I'm just going to ask you up front, um, tell us, what is Canrock? Canrock is is the Canadian Regional Organizing Committee, and you know the the main point of a rock of a regional organizing committee is basically it's an incubator for expanding the union in regions where there are there are some branches, but it helps people do coordination. It helps people. Uh, uh, so it can can issue delegate delegate credentials to members so they can sign up new members. It can help basically help uh, the supply chain along for membership supplies, for facilitating uh, information and, and just keeping the membership current. Um, and basically, uh, you know, when we were looking at talking about forming the Canadian Regional Organizing Committee, uh, you know, we, then we had a, like a lot of, of problems that we wanted to solve. And, uh, but the, the main three issues are, we needed to fix our administration work. We needed to improve communication among the branches. And we, need, we wanted to be able to coordinate organizing either on industrial lines or, or, or in a national way. So those are sort of the three foundations of what we try to do. Uh, I mentioned that I was uh, the secretary of, uh, of the uh, British House, second uh, British Isles ROC. And uh, that was a great experience for me. And I got to see sort of how our rock helped solve a lot of the problems and how the independence that provided by rock allowed, allowed me to, uh, to address things directly with members instead of just sending, saying, you have to send a form to headquarters in Philadelphia, or you have to request your delegate form from them. Well, we could issue our own delegate credentials. We could issue our own shop cards, that kind of thing. So uh, we were able to sort of keep the work moving. You know, it was a, a way to grease the grease the wheels of the union. Yeah, and okay. so that's that's really what it's there for. Uh, and uh, it was we, it, when we came back. There was another fellow worker who had uh, been in Scotland at the same time that I was in England, and we had. Uh, talked in, about it and saying, well, why don't we do, do that in Canada? Because, you know, in Canada, we had a lot of problems. Um, and it, it was affecting morale. It was, it was affecting our ability to retain members. And some of those problems were as simple as people weren't getting their industrial worker newspaper ever. Hmm. They'd pay dues, they'd never get it. Or they wouldn't get their general organizing bulletin that internal bulletin that tells us what's going on in the union. Yeah. I wouldn't get that, or it would arrive way too late for them to be really useful. Um, but perhaps one of the most biggest problems was um, our, our members, members weren't um, being added to the database uh, fast enough or mail cross-border mail problems, uh, currency problems also added up. Uh, and then there was like the cost of a like the cost of monthly dues, for example. Yeah, exactly. So you've got a branch of, of 10 Wobblies in, in Ottawa, and you send the money in, but the 
the check to to cash the check, uh, headquarters has to spend twenty five dollars on that, and the check is not worth that. And also, you've got a differential between the Canadian money and the U.S. money. Yeah. At that time, it was like a buck twenty five Canadian for every one dollar U.S. So it, all of a sudden, you're like, well, why are we sending our money to get eaten up by the currency exchange? And how does this how does this any of this make sense? But I think one of the things that really people were really upset was around referendum time, right around this time right now, uh, where you would get a notice that you've been mailed a ballot, then you wait for three weeks for your ballot to show up, and then the ballot shows up, and you have somehow miraculously one week to get it all the way back to <laughs> the United States to be counted. So disenfranchisement was a huge issue. and. People were ticked off uh, for years. Uh, and so that was one of those issues that uh, we ended up um, you know, really dealing with. Uh, and one of the thing, the funny thing is that even as we were sort of beginning the, the baby steps of forming Iraq, we went to the GB and said, look, we need to have a Canadian ballot committee. And so we had, we got them to finally recognize the problem and we had a Canadian ballot committee and and uh, we were able to count our own ballots and then report directly to, uh, to headquarters by email or telephone and uh, and then all of a sudden our members felt like our ballots actually counted and that you know spending fifty dollars on a FedEx envelope was to get your branches ballots back in time for December 1st is uh, you know that that we can put that up behind us. But it took us three years of doing that to eventually get to our, our goal, which was to have a Canadian Regional Organizing Committee. So you established, so you kind of began identifying these problems. And I imagine like there were like, there were individual members, there were branches that were talking about it. And, and like the branches had some way of talking to each other, or did it just so happen that there were a couple of members who were involved like in national politics, like national IWW work that were able to communicate this stuff? Like how, how before there was a rock, what was, what was the pre-rock? Was it just you all on like phone calls together? Did you meet up um, every year? Like, like what, what, what did you do? How'd you get together? We had a, we had an email list, the Canada email list. And, uh, and so whenever people had something that they wanted to raise or they had a problem or, you know, when we were trying to figure out whether anybody had gotten their ballots yet, you put an email on that and find out, right? So when this fellow worker and I uh, began to discuss the idea of forming a regional organizing committee here in Canada, we decided that that would, uh, so we just put the word out there. And people, you know, that were interested, they would respond and say, oh, what about that? What about this? And so we identified different issues, things, you know, to see if there was common ground. And there was a lot of common ground. We all had a, a lot of the same problems that we were dealing with. And so um, that was back in 2007. And uh, when we first started that conversation, there became some optimism, some enthusiasm for it. Uh, so then we began to move towards writing uh, uh Constitution, uh, what it would stuff. look like, and all that stuff. But um, ultimately, that took um, that took us about two years to get through. Uh, 
2007, 2009, we finally had a draft that was worth arguing over. So we had a, in June, was it 2009, we had a North of 49 conference in Winnipeg. Uh, and it, so it was like a, it was like a little organizing summit for the Canadian IWW members. Uh, and at this point there were only four branches. Yeah, so it was pretty small, but you know, you had your your branches. There was uh, um, uh, Toronto, Winnipeg, Ottawa, and uh, well, somebody's going to hate me for not remembering. Uh, <laughs> it's all right. Uh, there was Vancouver as well, but Vancouver decided to opt out. They said they were not. They we're opted not out of the original regional organizing committee. Yeah, exactly. But there were members on Vancouver Island that were interested. There were other members in other parts of Ontario that were interested. So, so there was a certain amount of, uh, of excitement and belief that it could solve some of our problems. Um, and, and, you know, basically get us working together better. So it sounds like y'all kind of got together. Um, you were aware of some existing problems in the union. You, you, I, you identified a possible way to resolve that, which is by building an organization, right? Like a like a sub organization within the within within Nara, basically. Did we have Nara at that time? Nara, Nara didn't show up until uh, a lot later. Boy, I really didn't realize what a new entity NARA is. That's super, super interesting. So we don't even have, you still have the GA at this point. Um, yeah. And and the GA, I assume, is very America, very, very America-centric, right? Because that's, you know, the IWW yeah. born and raised in America. And and that's where the majority of our members were, I imagine. Um, yeah, and, Absolutely. And 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 so you build, so you start building Canrock because I mean it makes sense, right? You have a lot of people with common with common interest that are in a, you know, borders exist whether we want them to or not. Borders exist, and uh, countries have jurisdictions and they have their own laws. Um, and it sounds like just just by proximity, in many ways, um, you it made sense to organize a regional organizing committee. And I do just want to say that. Outside of Canrock, there are other rocks even in the U.S. I think there's like a Southern organizing committee in the U.S. that is focused on like Southern states and organizing amongst them. Like, like I don't know if that's a ROC, but I would it might have passed me by. But I, I know that there are regional organizing structures that are not necessarily regional organizing committees in, in different parts of the states, and that makes sense as well because again. You know, the United States is a big country. It's got different cultures. It's got different uh, laws and uh, and things. So, yeah, I, I think that uh, there is definitely something there. And the, and the thing is, you're right about a lot of the stuff that we're getting was actually not relevant to us in terms of organizing. So, you know, our members were saying, okay, we need to have uh, an organizer training thing for Canada. So we were doing organizing trainings and starting to draft. Some of our members were putting together organizing training uh, materials and sessions uh, before even the IWW had an organizing tra training committee. A lot of that material actually went to that committee as part of sort of the, 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 as the initial logs for that fire. Really? So, 
the organizing yeah. the organizer training committee is also relatively new i mean you're just a you're just a wealth of information for me here tonight like peter like this is super interesting to me so the organizer training committee is also a relatively new entity yeah no, absolutely oh, um okay i mean it's it's a little uh um it's good that we have one and it's been around for actually a long time i mean over a decade now i think so but still when you think when you think back to this i mean um when you think back to the can rock we actually finally got our charter in 2011 right mm-hmm. so uh, you know, when in terms of how long it took us to organize the Can Rock, it was like from 2007 to 2011 when we finally got a ratified constitution by both our members and by the GEB, the board of the general administration. So that was, uh, you know, quite a process. It was a really long process. And the good thing about it was that it was very clear. Everybody could see it coming. Everybody knew what was was happening. And uh, almost to odd nauseum, you know, people are like, oh, my God, are you still talking about Canada? But we're like, yeah, we're, we're just taking no. it step by step, take it step by step. And so there was, you know, by the time we got to that conference in the North of 49 conference in in, uh, in June of 20, 2009, everybody knew what was on the table. And um, we were able to hammer out an agreement. I was part of the. I was the Ottawa delegate of that negotiation committee there, and we were uh, we we were we were machines when it came down to voting on stuff. And there were things that we wanted that we didn't get, and there were things that other branches wanted they didn't get. And we voted on each clause, clause by clause, uh, in terms of how we were going to form it up. And that must have taken like clear. a very long time. Yeah, it was like two days, two days of negotiations, right? So, uh, so that was, it was fascinating. I'm a bit of a governance and organization geek, really. And that's, you know, so what drew me into, back into the regional administration uh, drafting you know, in terms of that. Um, but also, you know, I, I uh, as somebody that helped write the original kind of rock constitution, I feel definitely sort of ownership in terms of like, this is something we made happen and I wanted to keep happening. And if we can make it better, then make it better. Okay. All right. So, so we got up and we built, uh, we built Can Rock. It sounds like around 2011, you went through the very kind of long and messy process of, of discussing, you know, cl- each clause in the constitution, um, some were voted up, some were voted down, but you had a Canrock constitution, and Canrock is born sometime around 2011. Yeah, it's funny because we filed in April, or uh, was it? We filed uh, the year before uh, our our petition for uh, we filed a petition for uh, for uh, a rock charter, but then it got to headquarters, and then they lost the application. <laughs> so we were like what the heck so we had to go back everybody got their signatures again and we resubmitted it and finally we were able to come up with a, an agreement and then we negotiated the agreement uh on what the relationship the due share and who does what with with the general executive board so so that you know there's so many different steps to this thing 
I don't think any of us were quite aware of it, but at least we took our time in terms of getting getting through those steps and making sure everybody knew what was going on. All right. So now, you know, we're going to like, there's been a lot of things that Canrock has done over the years. And, you know, I guess it, it seems to me like the number of branches that you've had have grown to some degree membership in, in Canadian, uh, Canadian branches has grown. Is that true? Or am I off base on that? No, you're, it's true. Um, I mean, I remember I was, I was looking back at, uh, um, you know, what we had in terms of uh, membership. And, you know, we roughly had about 200 members in good and bad standing uh, back in, in 2009, 2010. I mean, it, it, it's not a large number, um, but, you know, as, as you know, you don't need to have a large number to have an impact. And uh, the fact is, uh, um, right now, I think the Canrock membership is something close to 600. So it has grown, and uh, and there's a lot, there was a lot more branches as well. There's a Halifax branch that that formed. There's uh, you know since the when the, in the years after the Canrock formed, uh, Montreal formed, uh, Halif uh, Windsor formed, and um, Vancouver Island uh, branches, all of them formed, and they joined the Canrock. So there was some definite momentum. There was definite interest. And I know for, on behalf of the, the Francophone uh, fellow workers, uh, they were happy that there was an organization that cared about translating stuff into French, making sure it's accessible to their members. And that was another project that we did, did which was to translate the constitution of the IWW to French. And that hadn't been done before. And, that and that's why we that, have a French translation of the IWW constitution. Yeah, and that's one of the great things uh, that's come out of, I think, this kind of uh, cooperation between the different uh, groups is, is that you have uh, Spanish, French, and English um, constitution and, and literature available for, for our members uh, who speak Spanish, English, and French in North America. And it's about time. We had a saying in uh, in Canrock, uh, you know, for one, we'd sign off for one big multilingual union. And, and now I feel like we're, we're getting closer to that. We're still a long ways away, I'd say. Uh, but in terms of uh, who we have more of, we have more French-speaking members than Spanish-speaking members in my, in my estimation now. Hmm. So... It's a, it's a step in the right direction. So so now, you know, quite a few years later, I mean, not even quite a few. I mean, it's hard. You're talking about a union that's over 100 years old. You talk about quite a few and it's like seven. Um, but, you know, I guess I guess it's been a few years and Canrock has grown. Canrock has expanded. Um, your constitution, I imagine, has seen some iterations and some changes. Uh, you've gone through some governance issues. And there's been talk, I would say, for at least the last three years, maybe it's longer, but it's come to my attention in the last three years or so that some people were interested in forming a CAN-RA, so Canadian Regional Administration, Canada Regional Administration, right? Um, what's that all about? Like, why, like, what's the impetus for forming uh, a CAN, a CAN-RA? How do you pronounce it? How do you all pronounce it? People call it Canra. 
Okay, can um, Roth can can yeah. so why so but, why so why why would we want to do that? I I think I think uh, honestly that for me as a member, uh, I was a little surprised when I saw the ballot, uh, the referendum ballot last year um, for the for the Ken Rock, uh, and there was a proposal to form a, a Canadian regional administration because and it had come from my branch. <laughs> the Ottawa like, uh, branch. Uh, yeah, the Ottawa branch, and we put it forward. Now, some context is that the Ottawa branch also two of the Canrock officers are members of the Ottawa branch. So as you, you can see it, there's a direct line between the officers and and this proposal. I think coming out of my branch, but I looked at this proposal and I was like, this is really odd. Like it's a very it's a very odd. Uh, proposal because it's a hybrid of three different things. One is, is the constitutional amendment to the Canrock Constitution. Two, it's a uh, uh, it's like a, it sets a timeline for a referendum, and it, three, it puts forward a mandate for the Canrock to to put together a, a, a constitution, like draft a constitution for itself. And you know, you got to remember for me. It took us like three years to get to that point uh, for it to form a Canrock. And all of a sudden, here was this motion that was being put to the members to vote on. And all of a sudden, they were uh, expected to. So it was like an omnibus motion where they just sort of jam everything in there and say, OK, this is what it is. This is how it's going to be. And and vote for it or don't vote for it. And I think it actually confused. I think it confused the hell out of a lot of people. Because, <laughs> you know, when you look at it, uh, when you, I, I looked at the, the math and of all the items that was that were on that ballot, all the constitutional amendments and other stuff on that ballot, uh, that was the one that had the least the least uh, votes in favor and the most most uh, votes that were abstentions and the most that were against it. So uh, to the point where. If you combine the abstentions and the votes against it, that's the majority. But because there but were, because there was no single majority, exactly, it the, it passed. So I, you know, I, I voted in that uh, referendum, and I was like, "This is really." Yeah, there was a lot of problems in my view on that on that on that ballot. Uh, but this was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. Because usually something like that goes to the, the camera representatives. I, they would have said, okay, you've got a proposal that has three distinct elements to it. You can't do this. You can't throw this all at the membership at the same time. So but this was just, a vote that was a referendum that went specifically to members of Can Rock because I don't remember seeing that in my referendum you, as a member of the Ipsy branch. You didn't see it because you wouldn't have jurisdiction. Like you right. It, it was only went the. I guess that's the thing. Um, the Can Rock has an annual referendum every year anyway, as well as, and it's in, it runs in parallel with the, the Nara. Uh, Jesus, sounds so crazy. That with the with the, the Chicago based uh, referendum, right? Sure. So, so uh, so that uh, that referendum uh, always runs concurrently. And that way, if you want to amend the 
constitution of the Canrock, or you have a resolution you want to put forward, or or there's an appeal or something, that, that's where you, that's where that would go. Okay. And um, and you you're right. The general, the non Canadians never see that because they're not members of Canrock, and also members that are not are part of Canadian branches that are not members of Canrock, they wouldn't see that either because they wouldn't have the ability to vote, vote in that either. So yeah. So anyway, so this referendum, you know, it came out and that was that was the weirdest result because you had, I think, a lot of confusion. So to me, when I first saw that, I thought, okay, there's a red flag right there. There's something a little odd about this process. And uh and I I had to sort of look deeper into it. Um and and I realized okay I don't think that even this motion is constitutional, or you know that that it necessarily respects the constitution of the of the of the Chicago organization or or of the Canwick itself. So I raised my concerns with my branch, and I raised it with the Rock representatives, and they just said to me, um, you know, uh, we're right, you're wrong, your your interpretation is incorrect, our interpretation is correct, and again. That set up another red flag for me. I was like, okay, so this is not good. And for me, I know that democracy is is a is a numbers game in terms of you you have a majority vote, but then sure. there's also consent, right? And you have to build consent and build consensus um, in order to to make something legitimate and real, and for people to actually feel like. It, they have a part of it. And I think that's one of the things that has disturbed me about this process has been it has been that it has felt very much like a top-down kind of thing uh, in terms of the, you know, the real impetus for, for the regional administration has come from the officers of the Ganrock and the, the representatives have voted in favor of letting that, you know, letting the train out of the dock or onto the tracks. And now everybody's like, okay, we can't get in the way of the train because uh, because there was a referendum and it'd be anti-democratic for us to say, hey, I think that train might be out of control or yeah, hey, know, that train is going the wrong direction. You know, I actually really want to hone in on something you said there. Um, and I think it's a really interesting point. It's one that I, I think it doesn't just affect like Canrock. I think and I, you didn't suggest that it did, but it's this very interesting notion of of what like democracy is. Like, there's a numbers game, and and that that makes a lot of sense. And and, and but, but I think that it's a very cynical view of democracy, right? The, because if you boil democracy down to just a numbers game, then what you have are a bunch of people who are voting, and if they have the numbers, everyone else be damned. And 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 what does that mean exactly? Like, if we win, you have to do what we want. Well, I mean, this is a voluntary organization, right? Like, we're here because we want to be. And if you build something that I don't want to be a part of, or that I don't, like, and, and so, so, so kind of what I want to get at is that key thing you said that, that it requires consent. It requires a sense of ownership. And, and I think this is a problem that actually it's very interesting because it doesn't just happen at the rock level. This happens at like a union level. This happens at the workplace level, right? And our own organizer training, our own organizer training covers this in some detail, this, 
this notion of when you go march on the boss, you don't do it alone, right? If you've got five wobblies in a room and you've got 50 people in the workplace and those five wobblies say, well, we're going to go march on the boss. And then they go march on the boss, but 45 other people are looking at them like, what the hell are you doing? Like, have you enacted democracy at that point? <laughs> have you enacted meaningful democracy in a way that other people engage or care about? And I think that's a really important and messy piece of democracy that I, that I don't think we talk about very often, but is really important to acknowledge. If you miss that consent piece, if you miss that we were a part of the discussion, maybe we didn't vote, but we know about it and we have buy-in into it and we have explicit thoughts about it, it's very different from saying, yes, we five have voted yes, and now the rest of you must follow suit, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is this is a, a key challenge for organizers and for us as a union. And, you know, our vision of, of being a union, a revolutionary union, is to let solidarity be our guide. We have a tradition of majority rules, uh, of being democratic, but we have to make sure solidarity is our guiding principle in terms of working things out. And in this process, as part of this process, has been really uh, difficult. Uh, there's there's a lot of different levels. It's, you know, putting together regional administration is incredibly complex, and you know, and try to come up with a. a, a constitution in a very short timeline uh, and, and trying to console with people, it, it just didn't really happen this time around. I didn't feel like it gelled uh, in terms of, uh, of seeking consent and understanding and dealing with the, some of the fears that we had that were coming up. And there was, a, there was an online, like a Zoom uh, consultation in June um, that you know, one of the branches, the Toronto branch, they said, we, we want to have this conversation. And they had this, they said, Toronto, Montreal, they said, we need to have a conversation about what a regional administration is, what it means, and, and so on. Fortunately, I couldn't attend, but I saw some of the notes from it. And a lot of it was like, okay, red flag number four. Here we are. Uh, people are very concerned about what this means and how it's going to affect them, how it's going to affect the uh, the the union and um, people are nervous about it and and yet people are still saying oh we can't deviate course we can't slow the train down we have a deadline we have to meet this deadline and uh, and we have to have this document ready for for uh, for our, our fall referendum and uh, so that, that was bad uh, it was good that there was some a chance to talk about it. But really, it was not anywhere near broad enough. The conversation was not not uh, deep enough, and there were simply not enough opportunities for members, rank and file members, to talk about what it is, what they want it to be, what it would mean to them. And as a consequence of this, uh, and I think there was uh, some real frustration with the Canrock uh, administratively. Uh, the Toronto GMB pulled out of Canrock. They actually left the, the 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 regional organizing committee and affiliated themselves with NARA. Uh, so, uh, to me, that 
was a very big problem. Uh, it was a small, it was a, like, you know, they have, I think 40 to 60 members there. Um, and, you know, it was 12 members that decided this at one of their meetings. But I, so in that sense, I was like, oh, that's process wise, that's not great. But they were obviously super frustrated and and very concerned. And they didn't want to, they just, they said, it's time to jump off the train. But to me, I was like, okay, well, should we even do this thing? You know, when a founding member of Canrock jumps off the Canrock in order to avoid being joining the Canrock. Yeah. If, if that's dragged the, along, basically. Exactly. If that's the reaction, then that's a weird reaction. And to me, I was like, well, you guys could have just stayed and voted against it on mass. But they they decided, no, we're just done. We're just done with camera. And to me, that signals that there's a significant problem with camera. And there's no guarantee uh, from what I can see that the problems of Canrock are gonna disappear when it becomes Canrock. So it, it, anyway, so it, so it's just been a lot of. Um, I, to me, I, I couldn't believe what Toronto did, and I was shocked, and I was also shocked at sort of the the almost the blindness that other members were were putting on themselves. Uh, other branches seem to be like, okay, we're just going to go ahead. It doesn't matter. You don't have Toronto. I'm like, how in Canada can it mean that it doesn't matter how Toronto? It, it, it's it's like, okay, so New York just decided to disaffiliate from from the general administration. Uh, it would be significant. What? I would be I would be I would be a little concerned. Uh, you would be. So uh, to me, I was a little uh, shocked by the that experience and. And also shocked by the indifference of the other branches um, to to that they were like, okay, they're gone, they're gone. Uh, that wasn't all right with me. I just thought this is this is crazy. Um, so, but, so Peter, it hmm. sounds like so. So, what was your? Were you involved in writing the constitution for for the for the proposed constitution for Can Ra? Did you? Because it sounds like you were involved for Can Rock. Did you do anything for the Canraw stuff? It sounds like it moved at a very fast pace, and you and you at a pace, and you felt uncomfortable about it. Were you involved in that process? You, you describe yourself as like a a governance geek, which I strongly relate to, by the way. Um, I'm one of those people who likes a good set of bylaws. Let's talk about bylaws, but but right, right. but you know, did you involve yourself in the in the Canraw um, uh, Constitution discussion? Oh yeah, absolutely. I uh, when I when I. When I saw that this was coming, I, I thought, okay, well, um, there's I can not be involved uh, and then see a train wreck, or I can try to prevent a train wreck from happening and by getting involved and, and you know trying to participate and raise all the big questions that forming a regional administration inevitably adds, asks. And uh, so I got involved as a rank and file member of the Ottawa a branch. I'm not an officer. I'm not a delegate uh, anymore. I'm a dues paying member, um, and uh, and uh, I think I was I was welcomed to be a part of that process. And but but it was again a little strange because as a member I didn't have voting rights, 
um, because the way they set up their their ad hoc constitutional committee was that only branch mem only branch delegates would be able to vote on things. So, uh, so it was like okay, and then they had a different a bit of a weird voting. Um, uh, you know, the larger branches had more votes than the smaller branches. And I was like, I don't, I even understand why you're doing this yourselves. It's a committee, it's a working committee, and so on. And it, it became very quickly apparent that that approach of having delegates ready to vote on motions was not going to draft us a, a constitution. So uh, that's where I and a number of other members, uh, we said, okay, um, I think it was our fellow worker from, from Calgary, he put his hand up and basically said, I want to form a subcommittee where we actually do the drafting and the editing and, and work. And we, they said, okay, we start with the Canada Constitution as your base and then go from there. And, uh, and so that's what we did. So we did a, like an edit and we highlighted a bunch of issues. We tried to bring it back to the, the committee and they made some decisions but they seem to be caught up more in procedure as opposed to content. So then we said, okay, let's, let's keep going. Uh, let's, and I, uh, I was looking at the international guiding principles and I realized that there were many uh, additional jobs for our regional administration to do as part of the guiding principles. So I, I did a chart of, you know, a chart and, spreadsheets almost you know it's scary but uh you had to you know bring up the language you know what did, what do they do in the in the other regional administration the the wales ireland uh scotland and england one what did they do with the north american regional administration what do we want to do and how do we want to work that and it was very complex uh, but we we beavered away and uh sweated and worked on it uh, in committee. And then we'd assign each other pieces to work on. And we'd bring that piece back and work on it. And and I, I worked on that really hard uh, uh, for for several months. Uh, and then eventually I, I ended up having another responsibility come up and I had to uh, sort of step away from that process, but I was still able to sort of see how it was going along. Um, so in terms of, how how they managed to do this constitution? It, honestly, Derek, it's a miracle that it happened. It is unbelievable because the the, the timeline was the timeline was an impossible timeline. I thought we didn't get started writing until March 2022. Right, our deadline was supposed to be the end of July 2022. Can you imagine writing a constitution in in you know that many months? It, you know, it's extraordinary. It so would be. It would probably be. It would probably be quite difficult. Yes, and especially. I mean, I mean, I can see one. I can see writing one, but one like like maybe the constitution for a branch, but the constitution for. So this is all very edifying to me, right? Because I don't, I don't know how any of this stuff happened, and so, and and, and I want to really like juxtapose here for a moment because it sounds like when you formed the Rock, you had this sort of very thoughtful approach in which you 
uh as a as a as a group basically went through like you said clause by clause by clause and we voted it up or we voted it down and it was in or it wasn't and and here it sounds like there was a much different approach and it required a and and the the timeline this is a timeline that was that was created by the referendum, right? This is the timeline that was that was created by the referendum a couple of years ago. Just the referendum that happened last fall. Oh my god! Okay, so I've uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the this this is what came out last year. So you've you've been doing this for a for like the last year, basically ahead of ahead of this year's referendum. That was the timeline you were put on. But it wasn't even last year. It was since March of this year. Right, we were working our butts off trying to put this thing together okay. trying to deal with all the different issues try to come up with terminology trying to figure out okay what are the things that we hate from the north american regional administration and what are the other things that what are the things we don't want to avoid right yeah and ultimately to meet the timeline uh there were a lot of compromises made and a lot of uh stuff that was actually you know some of the stuff was bored from from Wizera and some was borrowed from that from Nara and uh, and um, you know I think ultimately uh, a key point was Cal the Calgary branch um, basically finished a draft and said okay let's have this as our finished draft and we move on from that and then they would do some more editing and that's and that's what happened uh, and. They fed, you know, the committee kept working on it until August 29th, where they did their last meeting. They voted to approve it. They sent it to the the Canrock representatives, branch representatives, for a vote. They voted on it, I think, the next day. And then it was, then the referendum process began. They voted so, on it the next day. Did they have time to, like, read it in, like, substance? And Yeah, they, the Canrock representatives had access to the document the entire time okay. like there was never like there was in terms of transparency the so the person that was organizing the committee uh, they set it up in a, in a very transparent way so you know it wasn't as if you know, it came out of a black box but this the pace of it was harrowing i mean this the, <laughs> the amount of stress you can create by having a tight deadline yeah it, it makes me wonder, geez, could we have done better? And uh, and from the debates uh, that I've seen on on you know the, the forums and so on, there's people that say, yeah, we could have done better, um, uh, and we should have done better, and we should not vote for this uh, referendum, this regional uh, administration proposal. And then there are other people that say, uh, you know, this is a living document. Uh, our constitution gets amended all the time, so we can we can fix anything that comes up uh, as it, as we go along. And what we really need is a regional administration. So there's these two sides of of the debate right now. And I mean, I've already received my ballot to vote on this thing. I was like, really? Where's the discussion? Where's the you know? Where are the debates? Or, yeah, and. and Ultimately, um, I feel like a lot of, even though I've had that that inside the room view of it, I feel like uh, I still want to talk to people about it. And I still want to uh, have a better idea of what other people were thinking about it. And there were so many 
big questions that I'm not sure we we really deliberated on in a thoughtful uh, thoughtful and productive way. I think there's I, I don't know. I guess I'm a little worried that um, the creativity that could have gone into this into this uh, this document and this conception of how we want the IWW to grow in Canada, uh, that we, we lost an opportunity to really think about that on a deeper level. Yeah, so I'm kind of curious, you know, I, I, I understand why you want to form a rock. So the rock makes sense to me. And, and you know, I want to be super clear here. I, I, I have very few... I have very, I have like no knowledge of what's happening in Canada. I mean, the the, the most that I know of Canada, of, of organizing in Canada is the very controversial email that was sent out by the GEB, or maybe it wasn't controversial, but it was made out to be controversial by some people. All I know is that there was an email that went out that said, that said how the IWW constitution applies in areas that have laws that disagree with it. And that was made into a whole thing. And then I feel like that's, it was that the end of that year at, at convention, um, this referendum for Ken Ra initiated. Right. So um, like, that's like, that was my, that was my slammed into reality. What the heck's going on in Canada? Um, here's an email and some people are really mad about it and i don't know the email kind of made sense to me because it sounded like it just said if like like the iww constitution has rules that don't that can't be applicable in certain jurisdictions they don't apply like i don't even know why we needed that email but apparently we did and 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 then this this can raw starts happening so why like why do we and i'm not saying we shouldn't have it i'm not saying we should i don't know that i even have an opinion or that i'm suited to have an opinion but i'm curious like i get why we want to have a rock there are organizational issues that we want to resolve is that the same here are there organizational issues that you're aware of that a that a regional administration is better suited to resolve this this is this is also a question i've been asking my branch members and and, and other people, I was like, okay, why? You know, as soon as I saw this item and we were voting on it and it passed, I was like, where did this idea come from? And, uh, and uh, the Canon Rock has not been good about communicating with members because it has a bulletin. And one of the criteria of, of a Canon Rock is that they have to have a regular bulletin where they communicate stuff to the members, uh, just like the GOBs for for. for the Chicago organization. So the, the thing about it is that, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff has been sort of bubbling under the surface. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, lo I was looking at the, the regional secretaries, um, it, you know, the, the concerns that were brought forward were basically, we're having a really hard time doing dues reporting and, and working with headquarters uh, database. And, uh, People are, you know, we have we had uh, a lot of administrative problems. There's big backlogs. There's, uh, you know, there are online member signups that are people are signing up through iww.org, but they're in Canada, and then we're not finding out about them. And they're and the money that's signed up for that for the Jews money isn't going to the Canrock. And then there's currency issues in the database. It's a database designed for U.S. funds, not Canadian funds, and 
it seems to be inflexible. So, I mean, there are, you know, technical logistical issues uh, and surprise, surprise, no surprise, really. They're administrative in nature, right? So I think, um, and I think a lot of the, there's a, the Canrock uh, officers are very frustrated. We try to make these things happen, make sure members are held in good standing by the whole organization. I, you know, as a former regional secretary, I, I have, I feel for them because I used to have that same problem uh, with, uh, with headquarters when I was the regional secretary treasurer for Canrock for, for three years, I was that officer, that officer, and I was sending reports. I didn't even have access to the database. Uh, and actually, I think in hindsight, I think that's a blessing because I would just photocopy all the reports, and mail them, and then they would have to do data entry at headquarters. Um, but here they have an agreement now where they can actually file all their dues uh, electronically, but it's not working. So they're they're very frustrated, and I can see why. Uh, sure. But is that a sufficient rationale to form an entirely different organization, a regional administration? Uh, and it's a question that I keep coming back to. I'm like, are if it just means that we're going to have to set up our own uh, dues collection system, our own membership database, which I think we should already have. Uh, you know, if we're our, if these are just these are the logistical problems that we have, then why um, is becoming a regional administration um, so, so important? And and so I, I was looking at some of the other representatives, uh, uh, and and they're basically saying, you know, we just need to be able to take control of our own union, take control of our own uh, our own approach to to how things are done here. I mean, we just need to be able to do it ourselves, you know? And I was like, okay, I, I, I also get that. Yeah, and that is. But again, it, it really comes down to a capacity issue. If as, as a Canrock, we're not necessarily meeting our administrative responsibilities. We're not reporting on a regular basis through our bulletin to our members. If we're not doing these different things that are requirements for a Canrock, then um, why would regional administration giving ourselves an even bigger job? Why would that make us? What, would independence really be the, the solution? The solution. Yeah. yeah. I and, mean, I think and, that's a that, that, that's such an important question. I think that this is a question that. Um, uh, I can't remember uh, someone someone in the GA or a previous organizing department board some, uh, from the ODB. Somebody has 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 asked me this question before. Like we 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 were talking about organizing and and I was talking about like industrial organizing committees. And this is one of these interesting debates in the union that people have. Like, why are we organizing general membership branches and not organizing more industrial unions and and I always, you know, kind of ask, like, well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> like, like, what, like, like, what are you hoping comes out of this? And yeah, we should organize industrially. We should organize industries. Um, but there was a question that that someone from the organizing department board at some point in my years asked, and that was, or they didn't really ask. They said to me, "I feel like our union 
the IWW builds structures because the structures make sense, but we don't know how to populate those structures. And, and we run into these increasing capacity issues because we build things that, that would be nice to have if we had people who were prepared to do them, but we don't. And, and, uh, and, and that, 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 that's an ongoing problem. And I feel like this is a problem that I encountered when I was a kid and I was playing a, a tyrannical hospital administrator in Sim Hospital. Um, and, and I kept wanting my hospital to be the best hospital possible. And I would build these massive structures because I was very, very young. And, and, uh, and I kept saying, why, why do I keep going bankrupt? <laughs> and and it, and it was always because I never had enough simulated doctors to do the work that my hospital was supposed to. And I had all this shiny equipment that I couldn't make use of that was very expensive that caused my 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 video game hospital to fail. So it's, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting question. Do we need this? Why are we building it? And And it sounds like. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like this is a discussion that there really hasn't been time to wrestle with in Canrock. Is that is that your rough estimation of the situation? I'd say that's my feeling. Uh, I think that uh, my theory is basically that the the officers are frustrated. They're they're frustrated with dealing with uh, the administration, and you know the last couple of years the general executive board and has been a bit of a garbage fire. I mean, it's been really hard to see all the weirdness that's been happening. Like that memo about the uh, about the RAND formula in uh, in Canada and that. I was like, that's crazy. There's also the removal of the uh, um, of the requirement to uh, not sign no strike clauses from the Constitution. I like that this this kind of thing should not be happening and i think a lot a large part of it is that people are not actually reading the constitution they're not really absorbing the values of the iww when they join and they're like okay well i i don't want to get in trouble with the law so let's let's come up with this memo that voids this responsibility this working class responsibility from our Canadian members to to go with contracts that have no strike clauses, hmm. um, and so to me it's uh, it's sort of that chaos at the at the Chicago level that has been difficult for people, and I think a lot of people, maybe not a lot of people, but I think some people, particularly the more involved people, uh, have just been like, well, I'm just I think it's better that we just go our own way. You know, it's one thing to pack up your wagon and put cookies in there and a blanket and, and to walk out the front door and down to the park. It's a completely other thing to say, okay, now I'm going to live in this park, right? <laughs> and yeah, sure. And for me, I remember, I remember that transition where, uh, you know, back in 2010, that was our first year for electing Canrock officers. So, yeah, 2010. And then I remember, uh, you know, that, that whole process was agonizing, just getting a bank account, getting all that stuff. And then I became the, the secretary treasurer and then trying to build financial processes, a database, all, all those uh, 
all the all the things that I needed to do, financial reporting. It was a huge amount of work. Unbelievable. Like there were so many things, transiting membership cards, transiting delegate cards, uh, issuing your own cards, issuing your shop credentials, issuing charters. I was like, okay, well, now I know what the GSC is it does deals with uh on a very low, on a, on, you know, on a very low scale. Because at that point we were only a couple hundred members. Uh, but right now you have over 600 members, as I as I understand it. So all that work is is coming to a head, and I don't think uh, our regional administration is necessarily a magic wand to solve those logistical problems that seem to be you know, besetting uh, our officers. Well, I think that um, I've learned a lot about kind of some of the things that are happening in Canada, and a lot of a lot of my attention has been drawn to this uh, because of because of arguments, right? I've been seeing a lot of people, I, I've seen a lot of go fight. Uh, I've seen I've seen some arguments break out on Interwab. I've seen some accusations of bad faith. I've seen, and, and, and I, like, these are, these are common, I feel like these are common arguments between fellow workers that maybe don't feel heard. They maybe feel shut out of processes. Um, they're like, I I've seen people from the Toronto branch, for example, um, disparage the process. I've seen people support the process wholly, um, and believe very strongly that it's the best, that it's the best path forward. But the point is, is I think that it, that it's, it's become a contentious and loud battle in, in certain public spaces within the union. And one of the questions that I'm always kind of curious about is, you know, what, what are the rank and file saying? What are the members talking about? Do members see the value of the regional administration? Do they see the value of the regional organizing committee? Um, I, I, I mean, I ask these questions. So I was in a meeting tonight with the IPCIWW branch, and there was a newish member who came on and said, um, "Who do do members follow what's happening at the national level and and so i asked a room of eight people um i said uh, it wasn't like a it wasn't a membership branch meeting it was like a strategic organizing meeting and we had us we had a we had, we had i think eight to nine people on including myself and the question was the question was asked and so i asked the group who here knows what's going to be on referendum in whenever referendum hits, like whenever we get our ballots, nobody in the room raises their hands. Who here knows who the current general secretary treasurer is? Not a single person, not a single person in a room of people. And I've got people who have been in members for years in that room and some who are relatively new. Um, you know, who, who here knows who's on the general executive board, right? So just some general questions about like, what is the general administration? What decisions are we going to face? Like, what are we talking about as a union? And, and the answer was nobody was nobody was certain. And, and I'm not, and I'm not one to advocate. Like, I'm certainly not advocating that there's no use in NARA. I'm not advocating that there's no purpose in the general administration, um, just because members aren't talking about it. But I do feel like one of the points that that I feel like you've raised here is this education point. Like, what do people know? What has the effort been, what effort has been undertaken to make sure that members are informed enough to have an intelligible conversation about this? Because what I've seen are these fights between members about transparency or process or, or you know, mistakes, but 
what I haven't seen is a discussion really about like why and do people value the why. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think this is this is uh, membership education about just the your own union is, is key, um, and, and it can help people uh, essentially inoculate themselves from sort of the venom that you see on the forums and so on, because you're like, okay, so these people are actually um, advocating different sides or, or so on. But it, to me, it's uh, it's a fundamental question. And I feel like uh, in this process, we just didn't get there in terms of, um, of, of educating our members. Um, I, I'm concerned that we were not gonna have a really big turnout on this question because people don't know what to vote. And you're gonna look at it and go, ah, I don't know. And then they're just gonna let that email sit in there, that electronic ballot sit in their, in their, sit in their mailbox uh, until it's expired. And if anything, if, I, if we could see like double the amount of people voting either way for this referent, on this referendum item than there was last year, then that would be a good thing because it would, it would signal that there's some engagement on it, but I I don't know, and I'm, I'm concerned that a lot of people will be like, okay, uh, I should vote for for the regional administration, or should vote for against it because my Cadillac representative said it this way or that way, yeah, and and I'm like, well, it's not a good enough reason to vote for something that fundamentally changes the organizational dynamic of your union in the in the country where you live uh, we need to have a lot more engagement a lot more uh common things now if if this pack if this motion fails then maybe that gives us an opportunity to have that conversation another way of interpreting that is that people say no we're not going to do that at all uh, but i'd like to think that even if it does pass that we still have an opportunity to have conversations uh, among the base, you know, the rank and file about what this actually means when it comes down to implementing. Because ultimately they're the ones, rank and file are the ones that are going to be paying for it with their dues money. Yeah. Uh, if there's if there's hiring staff to do administrative work, the rank and file should have a hand in that conversation. If, uh, if and so on. So the problem that I've been saying is, there really doesn't seem to be a very strong link between the branch rank and file and what the branch representative is is uh, is doing or saying. Even though the way the system is set up is that the branch representative is essentially the delegate of the branch. Uh, I, you know, maybe some people will say that that's unfair. That people are trying their best and doing their doing the best that they can um, with people that are apathetic about the cadenock, but. I think uh, I think we can do better. I think we should do better. I think that's I think that's I think that's fair. Um, you know, there is there is a question a little there's a question about apathy in there uh, that I think is 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 kind of a, a good point for us to 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 wrap up on. And and that's really kind of like if you have a lot of apathy on an issue in the union, I, I feel like it's a symptom. I feel like personally, it's a symptom of several things. One there's an education issue, right? Like you can't, you you can't, we can't reasonably ask people to vote on something in the union that they either don't care about 
or or more importantly, perhaps they just don't know about. Um, and that's and that's I think a fundamental and important part of democracy. That is that is perhaps often overlooked is the importance of making sure that the people who are voting at least had an opportunity to learn about it. Like they know what they're voting on. Um, there's a there's a problem in trade unions that I've that I've noticed in my in my own lifetime where it's what you're talking about. Like the union steward comes in and whips votes. Like this is what you should be voting on, but why? Right? But 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 why? And and a lot of folks just say, yeah, yeah, okay. And then a third of the people vote, and the ones who do vote vote for what their union steward says because it's the union steward, and I trust the union steward. And that's that's a good reason sometimes to vote for something, but I but I also but I also feel like we should be doing better than that. Just as a union in general, let's talk about what these issues are. In the Ipsy branch last year during referendum, one of the things that we didn't get around to doing, but we're thinking about doing again this year, even though there really aren't many items in referendum for us to vote on, is having a, no, actually we did do this last year, where we invited, we set up a meeting time and said, hey, if you're a member of the Ipsy branch, come on in, let's talk about the items on referendum. And I think we had like three people show up to that meeting. And so it wasn't a huge turnout, but it doesn't matter. Like those are people who wanted to vote and they were like, they would ask like, well, what should, how should we vote? And, and the answer is, well, let's not answer that question. Let's talk about what these are and, and people who have opinions about them can express, can express what they think about it. Let's have a discussion about what they are and what we think the implications are um, and then go out, go out and vote. And I think that worked out very well. I would have liked to see more members show up to it, but ultimately those three members showed up, learned something. We didn't tell them how to vote. They voted and hopefully they made decisions in their, with their votes that they felt good about. Yeah. Ottawa Odeway, uh has done that, uh, did that for many years when I was uh, in person in present there. Um, and, uh, and it was always a useful thing. It was always that August conversation or, you know, basically a conversation, how do we start to delegate to vote at convention? Uh, and and that gave people a lot of background and often was the one time that people were like, okay, let's pay attention to what the internationals say. Mm-hmm. And and it was a good education thing. And most of your business is local and it should be, um, but it is good to have members actually uh, engage and ask the questions and say, okay, well, what is this? Um, but when you have a union that's grown as much as ours has in the last few years, um, it's, it becomes a little more difficult because there's a lot of new faces, a lot of new people, uh, and and the flow of information is not necessarily uh, you know, as easy uh, to, to understand. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that the union has grown, but, uh, but there's a lot of people uh, involved and active and they have opinions and you know a lot of the times i'm like oh well i think uh that's an opinion i'm going to pay attention to or i don't think that opinion is based in reality whatsoever you know and uh <laughs> it, it's it's funny but it's an important part of the deliberation process uh for any democracy yeah uh, yeah well do you have any closing thoughts you want to offer up tonight we we've uh, we've definitely we definitely have packed a lot into this conversation. Um, uh, do you have any closing thoughts? Well, I, I think, you know, the funny thing is 
you know, I'm coming to this conversation. I've been thinking about it a lot since you approached me and, and I still haven't voted, right? I haven't voted yes or no uh, on the question that is before me because I feel torn. I think a lot of members are feeling torn that uh, maybe we should just go for it and fix it as we go. You know, um, maybe it's a beater, but maybe it's a good beater, right? Sure. And, or, and, uh, and then I'm also like, well, maybe we just need some more deliberation, more fix up, you know, to, to fix it up, to have that conversation with our members and build some real support for Ken Rock and, and Ken. Um, and I, it's, I'm torn, right? Because I also feel like I have skin in the game. You know, I have, I, I spent hours and hours and hours looking at constitutions and drafting language and, and coming up with a list of questions that we need to talk about. And I feel a little like we just didn't have a, a you know, a good enough conversation on that, on that layer. So, I, you know, on the next uh, couple of days, I'm going to have to make that decision. And I think everybody's going to have to make that decision. Um, and hopefully we can all, uh, remember that we are each other's fellow workers that are guiding principles, solidarity, and uh, we need to work together, whatever happens. And that is where I'd like to go. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, and as a, as a reminder for anyone out in the audience who, whether it's post-referendum or it is, or if this episode comes out before referendum hits, you know, if you want to talk about, what happened if you'd like to discuss you know your own thoughts about can rock or can raw um or just what it's like organizing in canada we're always interested in, like my experiences are very much so based in the u.s if you want to talk about what organizing in canada looks like i mean these are all conversations that we want to keep having and we would like to have and you're always welcome to reach out and let us know you'd like to engage so uh reach out to us at ipsilanti at iww.org uh, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Uh, thank you very much, Peter. My, my pleasure. Thanks right. for having me on, Derek. And that's the show, folks. It was recorded and edited by me, fellow worker Jason. The intro and outro song are also by me, fellow worker Jason. If you'd like to join the IWW and be part of the One Big Union, go to iww.org slash join. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns for us, you can always email us at ypsilanti at iww.org. Until next time, an injury to one is an injury to all.